Welcome to church. It is good to be in church. It is good for me to be in church, the church and the place that I know and that I considered home. It's been a blessing. Um, Ten days in the Holy Land. Enjoyed every minute of it. So fully present there. And now that I'm here, just delighted to be home, home. Um, in Israel, they, they, uh, which is a great thing, they eat a lot of vegetables. And I'm so grateful for that. But I'm so glad to have like some steak and pizza tonight. <laughs> I'm just American, the American dream. So um, I want to give thanks to Pastor Hoseas for his servant leadership throughout this time. And um, I got to hang out with um, his older sister, but to have fun with him, I always consider uh, Pastor Loida his baby sister. So uh, Loida Divine was in that trip um, as well. So thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you for your notes and your encouragement. Um, it meant the world to me. It meant a lot. Um, it was very encouraging, very assuring. Um, the 10-hour flight the, on the way back became more of a 13-hour flight. Um, God is funny, so he wanted to do all the turbulence for me to just trust in God. So turbulence was fun, and, um, and here I am, and thank God, and I, and I touched the grounds in Miami airport. Um, it was, it was, but it was a blessing. It was an absolute blessing. I went on this spiritual pilgrimage accepting with deep gratitude a gift of full sponsorship of the Florida Conference, being led by our bishop, Bishop Carter. And this was fully sponsored, about 60 of us clergy ordained in the last quadrennium. And with 60 of us, that's the group picture of the clergy, deacons and elders, there were almost 400 of us because the, the remaining were laity. So congregants from all Florida United Methodist churches. We did not try to have a group picture of about 400 people. Um, so this is the group of the clergy. Hopefully one day, maybe as a church, we can also participate in such incredible pilgrimage. Throughout the pilgrimage, I really just couldn't believe that I was stepping where Jesus once walked. I went as a pilgrim, not as a tourist. I went to the land of the Bible. And I longed and I was yearning to immerse myself to an experience reconnecting to a 2,000-year-old story. And once we arrived at the hotel, the first one in Tel Aviv, um, this is the first picture I took on that morning of the first full day in the pilgrimage. As many of you may know, um, ocean views mean a lot to me. So that was the beginning of the, ten, of the eighth day there, two days traveling. We received teachings um, by our bishop at every single site. And we took turn, the clergy leading in prayers at every single site. And I prayed in the cave where we believe Jesus was thrown into after being arrested, waiting for judgment. And I could not 
understand or believe that I was giving the opportunity to pray in the space of so much despair and darkness, but also hope and miracles that took place when Jesus was there. I wanted to deepen my understanding of the Gospels and the people's history. And one of my main questions for the pilgrimage was, what has gone unnoticed? I've been reading the Word for years, ever since I can remember. I grew up reading the Word of God. And one of the, the, the questions as a framework for my own um, search and my own pilgrimage was, what, ha what have I missed over the years? What else is there to discover? What else is there for me to learn? What have I missed? And how come I've missed that? What does that say of my own journey? And a few days before going into the pilgrimage to the Holy Land, I selected the scripture and the sermon title, one, so that the worship team could do what they do so wonderfully, the work of song selection and images. But I also wanted to select that as a way to make it a meditative process for me to take onto this trip. So the passage I selected and became kind of my personal devotional during the 10 days away is the walk to Emmaus. And I'm going to read portions of the walk to Emmaus. Um, I'm going to set it up a, a bit just because it's a little extensive. But this portion of the chapter 24 takes place right after Jesus is crucified and resurrected. So it's on the third day. It's raw. It just took place. This is earlier on that third day. The women have gone. They discover that the, 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 tome, the tomb is empty and the stone is rolled away. So on that same day, verses 15 through 30-something, because of how extensive it is, I'm going to read a little bit in between and then summarize some of it so that you get the, the idea. I encourage you to please read this week this chapter or at least the portion in its entirety of the walk to Emmaus starting on verse 13 of Luke 24. So I've set it up on that same day They've received word that the tomb is empty. And here we go, verse 15. While they were walking, that's two pilgrims, by the way. While they were walking, they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. 
Before I take you to verse 32, which is what the screen is going to show you, I need to tell you what happens on verse 19, 20, and so on. They look sad, and then they started to explain to Jesus, how could you not know why we're sad? Have you missed the whole weekend's agenda? Jesus is crucified, and we hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem our people of Israel. He taught, he did incredible things, now he died. Women astoundedly have told us that they went this morning, the tomb is empty, and the stone has rolled away, and we're sad. If you were to read, once you read hopefully, then you'll, you'll see how Jesus has a back and forth and ask a few questions. Then it's getting um, later in the day, and Jesus starts to walk ahead as to leave them. Then they say to him, don't go, it's getting dark. Why don't you stay with us? Jesus stays with them. Do imagine a few hours have gone by. It's a lot of walking. He goes to the house. He actually talks more scripture, more scripture, and then, and then Jesus says to them, breaks the bread, blesses it, and gives them. That's communion. And only in that moment, just so you know, then they recognized who Jesus was. After all that, then they recognized. He literally had to do communion for them, who he had just done it the four, four days ago. So then they recognized him. All of a sudden, Jesus vanishes. And verse 32, they said to each other, huh, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And that's verse 32, and I will finish here by saying verse 33. That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. And they were saying, now, at last, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Verse 35, and the last one for this morning. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So they're discussing matters about Jesus, and yet they can't recognize Jesus being really, really close to them. How do they miss that? How can you talk about Jesus and not really feel Jesus? This experience of these two persons on their walk to Emmaus took place during a painful time, the loss of Jesus, of their beloved. And I think about the loss of 17 students on February 14th, 
And we can think today, right now, about the countless realities of loss and heartache that you may be experiencing or are aware of. And experiencing loss and sorrow can be so beyond reason that the power of faith and the presence of hope and the closeness and the presence of Jesus can go unnoticed or undetected based on loss. Are there times in our lives when we can't notice Jesus close to us? We can talk about it, but we can't feel it or experience it. So hear the good news, brothers and sisters and friends. When, not if, when there is deep pain in our lives, that is when we need the presence of Christ the most. So, believe that with what? Not with the circumstance alone, but by faith alone. Exercise and activate your faith. And with faith alone, you can experience Christ closer than ever before. The passage tells us that the two were sad. And they were sad because they hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. It says it just like that. Please read it. So they were sad because they hoped he redeemed the people. What does that imply? That means that they felt that Jesus left without fixing anything. Jesus left without redeeming his people. So their demeanor, sadness, and their statements, he didn't do it, indicates that they disregarded the teaching of Jesus. He taught a whole lot of what it meant to be redeemed. And he talked about the promise to be fulfilled by his death and resurrection. But they dismissed it. And they were sad. Their passion, in other, therefore, their passion for Jesus' mission on earth dwindled because life continued with more of the same. Can we relate to that sometimes? We've been redeemed, but it kind of feels like everything is the same, particularly the negative things. Many people then, like those two pilgrims, and many people today want redemption in human terms in order to believe, listen, in order to believe in divine kingdom values. So be careful, church. Be careful. Don't seek human terms to believe in redemption be careful that we may place our trust and hope in human leaders of the day, believing they're going to fix it all. One or a few persons may claim that they have the one perfect way to redeem our realities. But Jesus says 
otherwise. Jesus says, and he taught, he proclaimed that the kingdom on earth is to be lived now as it is in heaven. In other words, in divine kingdom values. And that is the redemption. So, next question for us to ponder. How passionate are we? How at peace are you? That Jesus' way of justice is the way to go. How passionate and at peace are we with God's way of redemption? When Jesus of Nazareth preached the Sermon on the Mount, and we were able to stand there on what is considered the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers the centrality of life. And I believe there's an image of that, of that mountain where it's believed that where, where Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. And that sermon that I really encourage you to read, but we're going to preach on that on Ash Wednesday, is the centrality of Christian life. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the principles, the way of Jesus Christ to be lived here in the now and on earth. And the Beatitudes our counterculture, and I hope we believe, although they're counterculture, they are without error. Do we believe that? Just for the sake of review, I will unpack it on Ash Wednesday. Let me at least read briefly the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account that's the centrality of christian life that's the way of jesus that's what he walked that's how he walked and that's what he said so this is the standard the beatitudes and Jesus taught this not only so that we could learn, and in those days so that they could learn something new. If anything, so that they could unlearn what had been so deeply ingrained in their lives. I reflect on the never-ending war between governments in the Middle East. We heard it. We saw what used to be the Holy Temple. We had the Muslims, we had the Palestinians, we had the Israelites, and we had a whole lot of A-47s all over. A lot of wars going on of who, who owns what. And then I saw and I thought about our very own current political climate 
And I ask, do we see redemption for our nation today through the eyes of Jesus and his sermon on the mount? Do you? And if we do, how? How are you the example that you believe the redemption of our nation and all nations is to live this out? The question I was asked during that part of the pilgrimage when we were standing there after the lesson and after the prayer was, which beatitude, Vidalis, are you living today? Which beatitude am I dismissing more than ever today? Which beatitude do I need to exemplify today? And I will now pass it forward to you. You're welcome. Which beatitude are you dismissing? And why are we dismissing that one or those? Which beatitude can we exemplify today more than ever? Too often, life's journey, life's course is more of the same. If you don't want to hear anything else, hear me on this one. Too often, life's journey is more of the same because we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, fear to uphold the higher kind of righteous life. Not just about God. We are not living this out, and it's a higher calling. And it's a harder life. It's the narrow road. It's the less popular one. Certainly the less practiced one. So how can we be vessels of the living gospel during polarized times? A life-giving moment for me was standing by the shore, offshore of the Sea of Galilee. My, 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 my calling passage, if you will, is Luke 5. There was a time for me in 2008, I read Luke 5 and something different happened. I read Luke 5 many times before 2008, but I was living through a time of seeking earnestly direction because I was, something was happening within me. My heart was burning for something and I didn't know what for and I didn't know how to go about it. And one day I, I read Luke chapter 5 and the Holy Spirit reveals to me that Alice, it's time for you to go into deeper waters. I changed careers. I shifted into full-time ministry. And someday in February 2020, I actually got to stand and touch the water of the Sea of Galilee like it says in Luke 5 when Jesus says, go into deeper waters. I'm sure there's an image there. If we can keep up with that, please. This is an ordinary moment in space. But for me, what an honor. Years later, something affirming happens in me. And I touch that water. And that was, I couldn't pan out. I couldn't imagine in 2008 what that looked like. Which leads me to, we must trust Jesus Christ when our future is hidden or unknown. But Jesus sees it. And Jesus walks with us every step of the way. Jesus is ahead of us. And we're not called to remain offshore. We are to grow deep in Jesus Christ following his lead, 
Amen. It may be uncertain to you, but it never is to Jesus Christ. But to grow deeper, we must surrender our own will. You can't help too much Jesus leading the way. He doesn't need our help. Let Jesus lead the way. As long as we're surrendering by faith alone. Question, how are you surrendering to Jesus' direction for your life? The redemptive work of Jesus is not easy. It's the Beatitudes. It's not popular, but it is the way. The way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is on the move. Are we with Jesus? Are we moving deeper with Jesus, which is, by the way, away from our selfish ways? Deeper waters. That is, to believe, uh, that is the Sea of Galilee, where it's believed that Jesus walked on water. The story ends with the pilgrims getting up and returning to Jerusalem, telling the others what happened on their journey. So I will begin to wrap up. Does your daily life exhibit how Jesus leads your life? Sometimes we work harder to be in a committee than journey through the crossroad with people. Sometimes we are quicker to criticize others over connecting with others. Sometimes we prefer staying by the offshore rather than stepping into deeper waters. Sometimes we seek private, self-focused religion over people, mission-minded, kingdom values. Sometimes we remain silent when we need to speak. Sometimes we react when we need to be still. Sometimes we're determined to step ahead with our agenda when we should follow. Sometimes we do things backwards. But all that indicates that we are yet to observe we are truly to notice, and we are certainly yet needing to walk like Jesus walked. We're not to oppose or dismiss the Beatitudes. That's Jesus' teaching. Be persons who do not tear anyone, anyone down. Rather, we are to be passionate about building each other's character. We should pray that we are never, ever a stumbling block for anyone. We should avoid at all cost throwing stones to anyone. Instead, we should yearn to be a stepping stone for others. Because that is how Jesus walked and that is how he fulfilled his time. And that is the meaning of redemption and resurrection of a new way of life. We are on a journey. And Jesus is alive. And Jesus is right here. And Jesus is close enough. 
And Jesus is knocking on your door of the soul and of your heart. Let's not talk about Jesus and the talk about his ministry, but let's exemplify his ministry, walking his steps as hard as it may be. We are to walk the steps of Jesus. May your prayer be, how are we willing, trying, practicing, walking with Jesus next to us, and we're actually aware of it, and we're living into that.